Welcome to the Shallow Dive on Koheles, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy it. One who guards the wind or tries to grasp the wind, as we'll see in Tagum, will not plant. And one who is gazing at the clouds, intently following the passage of the clouds, will not harvest. Let's take a look at how Tagum presents this. A man who guards witchcraft and divination and guards is probably a, although a standard translation of natir but means to not guard it in a sense of uh, protecting it, but to to pursue, to uh, possess. So he's trying to possess witchcraft and divination. Lo yavid tav leolam. He will not do good for the world. La'adom. So that is the first parable. If he's trying to grasp the wind, He's not going to plant if he's trying to harness witchcraft and divination he's not going to be doing good for the world and one who is looking at the fortunes lo magve agar he will not collect and receive reward. Arum haroshin mesilin lerucha. So now Tagum is going to explain this marshal, but the second part, the second clause of the verse, when it was gazing, following the clouds, will not harvest. Tagum renders that as one who is looking at fortunes, mazel, will not collect a reward. So the harvest symbolizes collecting a reward. And now Tagum continues to explain the Moshal, Nimshal, Arum Haroshin Mesilin Lerucha, because witchcraft is the parable. Well, the, the parable for witchcraft is wind, Delo Mispas Bidoi Divarnash. That cannot be grasped in the hands of a person, literally the son of man. It's mildly pejorative, meaning it's beyond what somebody can grasp. It's a futile pursuit. Umazolayo mesilon, and the fortunes are compared. Laanone shemaya to the clouds of the heavens. Da'azolu velo saivin, that they go and do not return. The clouds float through this 
landscape, the, cloud, the, the, the sky, you see the clouds going through, and you can watch them come and go. That is similarly, that, that is the mushal, that, that is the parable of what someone who does that will miss out on the harvest. So we have two things, not planting and not harvesting. The one who's grasping at the wind doesn't plant, and the one who's gazing at the clouds overhead, floating through the sky, he's not going to harvest. Although these are related, they are distinct. Because obviously, the one who does not plant is not going to be harvesting whether or not he's looking at the clouds. He's not going to harvest because he didn't plant. So these two parables are related but independent in the sense that they're not, they're not cumulative. The person who is aspiring to harness witchcraft and divination is not going to do good. He's exerting his efforts in something that is futile and that will hold him back from exerting himself in a manner that is meaningful. Planting mm -hmm. is symbolic of doing good. The second parable is describing one who will not harvest. Now, one who will not harvest means that there is produce in the field that could be harvested. And he is nonetheless not harvesting. Why? Because he's busy watching the clouds pass by. So here, it's not a direct continuity, as we said, of the one who didn't plant. There is something there. Not that they're entirely unrelated. A person can have some plantings, perhaps not as much as he would have had he focused, but even with that which he has there, ready for harvest, will not actually accrue as a source of benefit for him. He will not receive the reward because he's busy looking at these passing clouds. What does that mean exactly? The reward that a person would receive for doing good deeds is not only a function of the good deeds, but also his intentions. God evaluates a person's intentions when considering his reward. And if his intentions, when he did a good deed, was to be mistakel v'mazolayo, he's looking at fortune. He is trying to align himself with selfish interest in one degree or another based on what he perceives as following this course of action will help him raise his fortunes. So he may have done something good for the wrong reason. Nothing to do with the service of God. He has other motivations. This will impede his receipt of reward for the good that he did. You're going to have a field there with produce. 
and he's not harvesting, he's busy looking at the clouds, there, there are the good deeds, so to speak, that were planted. But the harvest requires that he is going to relate to that in a manner that accrues to him as a benefit. And it would seem that in the nimshal, that would correspond to his intentions. If his intentions with the, the good deeds that he did were to enhance his mazel, to, to pursue a course of action that he felt would, would be, as, from a selfish perspective, help his fortunes, th- this is not going to be a source of reward. You'll not receive reward for that good deed. He has a good deed, but it's sitting in the field without being harvested. That l'chera is, is the, it would seem, the, the two parables here that, again, are related, not necessarily cumulative. And the futility of this self-interest is really brought forth by the Targum, that these clouds, which symbolize the mazel, his fortune, they're in constant flux. Fortunes change, the rise and fall of fortunes. That is the nature. If you, if you could point to any element of fortune at all, it is a constantly changing ebb and flow. So to be focused on that, it's, it's like focused on the clouds that go through this, uh, the sky and keep, keep moving. They don't return. It's not a, a pattern, so to speak, that could be truly dependable. It's a, it's a futility. So although he may be selfishly motivated, he's not actually attaching him to so, himself to anything of true value. So he's pursuing whatever good he may have done for the wrong reasons, for actually futile reasons, and leaving that bounty unharvested in the field. The real the ability to actually collect a reward for the good that he's done requires that he do the good with the right motivations, that he's doing so to connect himself to the Creator. That is a, a, a good reason. He's not looking at, does this help his fortunes? That's, that's going to detract from his ability. He's going to be uh, connecting himself to something that is ephemeral, always changing, if he's connecting himself to God through his actions, so then it will be a source of merit. He will have reward for this good that is accomplished. Let's see Rashi. Shomer Ruach Lo Yizra One who guards the wind will not plant. Namtum Ruach So the way Rashi seems to be learning is that the wind will facilitate his planting. He thinks that having the wind there will aid in the spread of the seeds for his his purpose. So he's being somewhat lazy from the way Rashi is describing it. He's just waiting for the wind to come and help. Lo Yisrael is not going to end up planting. Sometimes he waits and the wind doesn't come. It's just a still day. No wind. And if he would have been a bit more of a go-getter, 
not so lazy. He would have actually accomplished his goal of planting, just waiting for the wind to come and pick him up. It's not a good model because it may not happen. So if he has the advantage of wind, wonderful, but it should not be the determining factor. If he wants to get the job done, he needs to exert himself whether he has additional help or not. I recall hearing from Babacharebi in his name that if somebody is encountering resistance to something that seems to him in his assessment, assuming that he's correct, that it doesn't make sense that there should be resistance to this. So assuming that it's something that he should be doing, of course, each person is the judge of that, someone who's genuinely trying to discern that, should recognize that that is an indication that this is his job, so to speak. It's his responsibility. The fact that he's encountering resistance on something that, why is nobody helping him? Why is he not finding the assistance? Where's the, the divine assistance of you? Why doesn't he have the winds helping him? That's why I'm recalling the story. Well, that's his job. That's an indication. It, it needs to be done. And he's saying, why, why am I not getting any help on this? It's his job. That's the way a person should interpret it. Assuming he's correct, that that's what he should be doing. And one who is gazing at the clouds. He places his eyes, his gazes towards the clouds. When he sees these clouds darkening, he is afraid to harvest. He doesn't want to harvest in the rain. And if he's not willing to underwrite some degree of risk, it could rain. He's too busy, focused on those clouds might release the torrential rain over here. Bad time to harvest. If he's always worried about that possibility, then he's basically consigning himself to a locked-in loss. He's not going to harvest. He's definitely going to lose the crop that way. He will never harvest because he's always afraid. The person is always focused on the risks, they're never going to take that step necessary to actually harvest. So that's a, the critique that Rashi is presenting here. Both by planting and by harvesting, a person has to take the initiative and get the job done and not, be, not use the potential of ease or facility that may happen or not happen, he should not rely on that, he should not make his, his actions determined by that, and the risks, on the contrary, the risks are, are the, the flip side of that coin. So on the planting, he's looking for help. On the harvesting, he's trying to avoid some disruption. A person needs to have a degree of independence to accomplish what needs to be done, both for plant, planting and for harvesting. Let's see the Mitzvah's David. Shomer Ruach, Hamamtin Bizriya Sadehu, Adba Ruach, one who waits by the planting of the field until the wind comes. Ki az tov lizra, that's a good time to plant. 
Because the wind will spread out the seed in the entire area. So that will assist him. Lo Yisra, he will not plant if he's waiting for the wind. Like Rashi said, sometimes he waits and it's just a still day, no, no wind. Somebody who puts his eyes on the clouds, gazes towards the clouds, and when he sees them darkening, he's afraid to harvest, because of the rains. This is Amish, a quote of Rashi as well. He will not harvest because he's always afraid. He's too focused on the risks. And the, the consequence of that, ironically, is ensuring the worst outcome possible. No harvest. Let's see the Ben Ezra. Shomer. Gamze Moshe al Hanadiv. This also, putting it in the context of the benefactor who is encouraged by King Solomon to engage in generosity time and time again. This is addressing him as well. The one who is planting, who is lazy and stingy, he will say that this wind is indicative that there won't be adequate rain in the days that are coming. And therefore, why should I take that which I already have? And that is symbolized by the seed that he has now. I have a better plan. Why should I plant it? Why don't I just bury it in the ground? He's afraid of potential consequences of planting. He's looking at the wind, worried that the wind indicates that the, not, you're not going to have enough rain. Why bother planting? Better to just hoard and save this grain. Just bury it in the ground. So that is the prospective benefactor who is stingy and allowing that character flaw to cloud the reasonable perspective that he has these blessings and he should plant. He shouldn't be focused on the potential losses, but rather engage in being a benefactor, using his blessings as he should. As we saw before, the rain clouds are filled in order to dispense of that blessing on the land. Some say that this is, as it sounds, an imperative towards planting. As King Solomon already mentioned in chapter 2, that there is nothing as foundational to the sustaining of the kingdom like the working of the ground. Agriculture, it's so fundamental to human needs. The 
disruption of that is destabilizing to the kingdom. Therefore, a person should not lean on his own understanding. And anything that he has tried in terms of various professions or skills. Because times change. So he might apply himself to a skill that will become obsolete. And there's no, no profit in becoming a, a Luddite. It's not, not a great idea. But people will always need to derive their sustenance from the produce that comes from working the ground. That is not going out of style. That is not a, an industry that will be uh, taken over, so to speak, and, and no longer relevant. People will always need to eat. The way God set up the world, a lot of that comes from the harvesting, utilizing the the growth of different crops from the ground. That is going to continue. So the encouragement over here, in terms of engaging in something that that is uh, certain to continue to be needed. Shalom Malch is saying, interestingly, from the perspective of Malchus, looking at the stability of the kingdom, he's expressing the importance of a stable agricultural base. Let's see this far now. Shomer Ruach lo Yizra Afalpi shalapamim Yavra so he's looking at it the opposite of Rashi and the Matsudas. Sometimes the wind, when you have a tempest, will undermine his efforts. He's trying to plant the seeds in these precise locations, and the wind can counter that. So the, the wind is an impediment to his goal in this perspective of the marshal, of the, of the parable. Nonetheless, a person should not hold himself back. It's not fitting to be restrained from the planting because of this concern. Yes, it might be windy. And yes, that could make the job harder, maybe less efficient. But that is not a reason not to plant. It is important to plant. And although he would prefer there not be any wind, waiting for all the wind to subside is, is not a reasonable plan. It's not appropriate. It's appropriate for him to overcome that concern. We're not talking about where he, he can't go and do it now, but since it'll be a little bit slightly more efficient if I wait, maybe. Maybe, maybe you'll still have a little bit of wind. He, he needs to make sure that he is not pushing it off just for the perfect ideal. The, the work needs to be done, whether the context is ideal or not. If this is something that has to happen, don't worry about these risks that are marginal. Viroe, ve'avim, lo yiktsar, ve'chein, 
This also has a similar course by harvest. If a person is too worried about these risks, that the wind will interfere with his planting, and the clouds, the rain will interfere with his harvest, he's not going to do either. He will never plant, and he will never harvest. He will be immobilized due to his fear. And, of course, actually recognize the greatest loss. He'll have nothing. He's worried about not having a crop. Well, he's basically baked that in if he's too afraid to act. So for these marginal concerns, he needs to have the courage to do the work and not be afraid and immobilized. And that the Ibn Ezra again says is in the first interpretation of Ibn Ezra, this is in the context of Nadivus, of a benefactor, somebody who has blessings and really should be generous. He shouldn't say, well, you know, look look at the at, at the context over here. The, the sky is falling and I can't afford to be generous. He needs to take that risk. He has the blessings now. He needs to apply himself. He needs to plant. He needs to harvest. He needs to engage in these activities and not allow the quality of stinginess to make the risks that he sees greater than they really are. He should not allow that to to impede doing what he needs to do. Let's see the Talmud's Chachma. Shomurach lo Yizra. We derive from here, we hear from here a great thing. Sometimes there are people that they rest their souls on the Holy Spirit that is within them, or that was with them. They had a vision through the Holy Spirit. They had a perception. And because of that, they did whatever they did and stumbled. For example, King Hezekiah, in a flash of divine inspiration, he saw that his children would be rotten. That's what he saw in his exposure to this prophetic vision. Because of this, he transgressed the command of God and did not marry a woman. So he was given this glimpse, which was a vision from God. It certainly was true, but that actually caused him to stumble because it held him back from doing what he needed to do. What he needed to do was the command of God. He needed to marry and have children and not be concerned with the the risks, even the risks that he saw through divine inspiration. This is going to happen. (laughs) 
But what he didn't see was that Menashe, who was a very wicked king, actually did do tshuva at the end of his days. More than at the end of the days, he did a lot of tshuva. I mean, he caused so much damage. So it's part of the, the package over here. But setting aside the direct investment of Menashe, we can look more broadly at the continuity of the Jewish monarchy. And this was, this was a down point. It was a low point. But that does not override the divine imperative. God says to do something. Don't, don't look at the consequences that are inconsequential to the mission. If God is commanding you to do something, that's what you got to do. V'chein, and similarly, Yosef, Yosef, who came in to engage in his labor, in a, in a flicker of divine inspiration, he saw that from Potiphar's wife would come forth a tribe of Israel. At the time, he was not aware that this would be from her daughter. He did marry subsequently, after he was catapulted to greatness. Yosef at Sadek. Joseph married Osnas Bas Potiphar, oh, right. who, who was the daughter of Potiphar's wife. So that flicker of divine inspiration that from this woman is going to be a tribe of Israel, well, that's a, a wonderful insight, flash of divine inspiration, but he was able to overcome using that to justify, wrongly, uh, interacting with this married woman inappropriately. He, he said, that's all good and well. I have a divine command over here. She's a married woman. That's it. There's nothing to talk about. That's not my problem. The fa- he, he did not allow that to, to, to cloud his fidelity to the mission. Right? I mean, both of these insights were correct. They were from divine inspiration. That, that, that was not the issue. But in terms of how that should impact what one does, that person cannot be unbounded by the halacha. If there is a divine command, let if God gives you a flash of insight into the future, that that does not uncouple you from following His commands. V'chein oh. Karach, we just had Parshas Karach Shira'a shall shows Gedula Yotzimimenu Beta Medrash brings. He saw a chain of greatness coming forth from him. Shmuel Hanavi was from his descendants. And he allowed that, that spark of divine prophecy, that he saw this greatness coming forth from him to allow him to uh, entrench within his own perception the, the suspicion that he maybe Moshe was doing things that were not actually a reflection of what God said. Why? He's so great. Look at, look at what's going to be. You know, he's going to have this descendant, Shmuel Anavi. So if that is the anchor, so he allowed everything else to become unhinged. And that flash of prophecy, that's the spark of prophecy, actually was tragic for, for Korah. 
וכן יש אנושים שהרבו לחתו. And there are many people that increased and pushed towards sin. ודומה להם, ושוב לא יזכבלו בתשובה. And they take the, the position from their perception that they will, their return would not be accepted. We find a similar story about Acher, whose real name was Elisha ben Abuya, that he says, I have heard from this flash of divine inspiration, my tshuva will not be accepted. And then that held him back from doing his mitzvah. There's a mitzvah of tshuva. A Jew is obligated to do tshuva, and he should not look at the consequences. It will be accepted, it won't be accepted. That's irrelevant. He needs to do his mitzvah. And he allowed that to deter him from doing what he had to do. Tragic. And for this, it is being stated, it's impossible to transgress the command of the Holy One, blessed be He. In spite of any flash of divine prophecy that he sees, the Holy Spirit, not to question the authenticity of it, even if he is absolutely certain it is coming from a revelation of God, that does not, and if he doesn't see how they're compatible, that's not his problem. But he cannot allow that vision to counter what the halacha demands of him, what the command of God requires of him. I'll just give an example that he didn't mention. He gave many examples, but I'll just give another one. We find by Mordechai. Mordechai, in a flash of divine inspiration, saw that Esther was going to be a vehicle of saving the Jewish people, and yet he did whatever he could to get her out of there. The, the tr- attempts of pidyon, of, of redemption, to get her out of this situation, which was not a good situation for her, apihalacha, he did what he was required to do, apihalacha, and didn't say, well, hey, this is obviously what God wants, and therefore, why should I make any efforts to release her from this situation? No, the halacha requires, requires him to try and save this captive. This, this Jewish woman is captive here. Halacha demands he try and get her out of there. If he's not able to, he's not able to. But in spite of the fact that it was actually not a successful endeavor, he was not able to get her out, and the redemption was brought through her hands, uh-huh. the halacha was not abrogated because of that vision. The, the idea, though, is, is clear that the halachic imperative, the command of God, is not meant to be ignored, even if the vision that God offers a person, a true vision, seems to indicate something contrary to the command. The command is what takes, uh, is what is being addressed to him about the imperative. Do this, don't do that, follow the command. A vision of a divine flicker of inspiration, that does not, impact one's relationship to the halacha. If there is a halachic imperative to do something, that should not be abrogated in spite of that vision. Now, the, the vision does not modify the halacha. That is what he's saying. That the you, you can have, under certain circumstances, 
as a horas shah, a divine command to suspend a particular halacha for a shorter period of time. For example, Elionavi Bahar Karma. That was a specific horas shah. You can't have such a thing. Where, but, but that doesn't alter the halacha. The halacha is bringing sacrifices outside the temple within this context. Post construction of the temple is a very severe sin that entails spiritual excision caries. It's not a small, minor issue. Nonetheless, he got a harash shah that in this limited circumstance, he was told to violate that halacha. It doesn't alter the halacha. The vision doesn't alter his perspective exactly. of the halacha. This exactly. is it, it superimposed up, up in this limited case. Okay. That, 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 that's good that's not changing the halacha. It doesn't change the mitzvah. I, I accept that analysis. Thank you. To use a halachic example. A gosis, somebody who's on their deathbed and is suffering from what they call the death rattle, gasping for breath. Such a person, the halacha directs us not to touch. Ain nogin begosis. Just the person is in such a fragile state that even just touching them could cause their soul to depart conceivably and the person has to be very mindful to not do that. Ain nogin begosis. Do not touch a gosis. Gosis. somebody who's gasping in their deathbed. Now, in the event that there's a dleka, if there's a fire, in the building, a person is obligated to touch that gosis to remove them from the imminent danger. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there's not a serious peril to <laughs> touching and moving the gosis, but there's a greater peril to saying, well, I'm not going to touch him because there's a, uh, an inferno that is imminently coming and dangerous. So one has to evaluate, this is within halacha, this is not a matter of a divine prophecy, vision, but it is the chachma to see where is the danger and what is doing your utmost to preserve the human life. In this case, that would be proactively moving the gosses, taking that risk to prevent a certain danger of leaving him there with a fire. So the, the that's all within the halacha. That's, that is all independent of any vision you see is the person's going to make it not going to make it that's all irrelevant he needs to follow the halacha and the halacha takes into consideration depending on the halacha what the circumstance is you may have different imperatives so the imperative before the fire was not to touch him and now the imperative is to touch him depends on the context context is critical to the halacha right. independent of divine inspiration of seeing a future consequence of what will be that, that doesn't inform what he should do now. Let, let's bear in mind, though, that the, the framework of fulfilling the imperative of being osik b'yushu b'shalolam is very broad. Mm -hmm. So if, if you have a premonition that this is not the way to do it today or in general, switch careers, you're certainly entitled to. It's not, it's not a violation of Allah to... Consider a sixth sense, if you will, mm -hmm. about any particular circumstance. That's within the realm of following the halacha. I'm not talking about violating the halacha, right? And and the the scope of what he's saying is that he's not saying you can never countenance a vision. 
that's we're talking about something that is undeniably vision from God. We're not talking about something that may be meaningful or maybe just a, a hallucination of sorts. We're not talking about questioning this authenticity of vision. We're talking about where it's unequivocally a true vision of God. Nonetheless, it does not alter the need to follow the imperatives of God. That is what we're discussing here. In, right, in, yeah. in a case where a person has a premonition, a vision, that does not interfere with the halacha, by all means, a person, sh- they, they have this sense, they should consider it. What is the origin of the sense? To what degree do they feel this? I'll tell you a story. That it's an Israeli politician had a meeting with Lubav Sherebi. Lubav Sherebi said he was scheduled, they were talking, and he said he was scheduled to go on a, on a flight. And the Rebbe said, don't go on that flight. So he said, I'll take them. The Lubav Sherebi is a big chacham, uh, big tzaddik. He said, I'll take the Rebbe's advice. He didn't go on that flight. Why didn't you, uh, you know, call the other hundreds of people? Why, if you knew that this was going to happen, didn't you take more aggressive steps than just telling me not to take the flight? Or just say, why don't you not take that flight as a, as a mild recommendation? So the Rebbe said, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had the sense that this is not what's good for you. Right. That's all. That's what I knew. Yeah, that's 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 all I get. So I get this kind of thing. He's he, he didn't he work. didn't allow that sense in any way to interfere with the halacha. He wasn't saying therefore uh, steal from the airline company and yes. and, and don't pay for the sense. ticket. He didn't say any of that. He said just don't take the flight. I don't recommend that you take the flight. I don't think it's good for you. That's what he saw, and he he acted on that with a an actual recommendation. But he, he would not have done so against the halacha. He would not have given advice that was counter to Okay, continuing. And the parable is given for this idea. Just as the one who guards the wind. The one who is supposed to be planting but is lazy. At the time. When it is appropriate to be planting. It is the time of planting. And he sees which way the wind is blowing. You're not going to have the rains that are necessary for this planting to be successful. He allows that to override what he should be doing. And he chooses not to plant. This is the error. He is allowing indications that may or may not actually be valuable to alter his course of action. And it is the time of planting. That is the imperative for him to be doing, not to be concerned with how much wind, how much rain. This is the time of planting. Now is the time. If that's the imperative, he should not be derailed by these concerns. Rimes Gamkein Lechizkia. This is an illusion. King Hezekiah, he was holding on to this vision that he perceived from the Holy Spirit that he was going to have rotten children, something that he feared, and that he saw was a divine vision. Because of this, he did not plant, he did not get married. He did not get married, he didn't have children. 
V'chein, Anon, the second couplet of the verse, the thickness of the cloud, Umarshal, the Mesech Mavdil, She'osin Bachatayim. This is an allusion to, or a, a parable for, a veil that creates a barrier for those who sin. As the Rambam writes in the Guide for the Perplexed, as he mentioned earlier, Elisha ben Avuya, also known as Acher, who sinned and heard, he's heard that anybody who does tshuva and returns to God will be accepted, except for Elisha ben Avuya. So he allowed that perception to hold him back from doing tshuva. Because he saw the thickness of the cloud, of this barrier that he introduced between him and God due to his sins, that caused him to stumble. And he went to activities of evil. And he actually regretted the good things that he did. Therefore, he did not harvest. Even the good things that he did originally... He did not reap the benefits of them, did not receive reward because he did the opposite of tshuva. He, he regretted, felt bad about the good things he did. It's the same way that tshuva will help a person become disconnected and, and unshackled from the consequence of his sin. The tshuva process makes him like another person, not connected to those sins. So Elisha ben Avuya, by disassociating, disowning the good things he did, he also was like another person, Acher, and was not worthy of receiving the reward for the good things he did. So he was effectively not harvesting, not receiving the reward, even though he had done good things. Therefore, don't look at the clouds. Don't allow these perceptions to alter the course of action, whether it be pertaining to doing a mitzvah or not doing a mitzvah, a person needs to follow through with the mitzvah, with what they need to do or not do according to the halacha. That's how a person does actually fulfill the mitzvah and not be uh, in any way taken off that course by the perception, a divinely revealed perception that seems to run counter to the mitzvah. He needs to follow the command and not be in in any way taken away from that in spite of things that he sees legitimately that appear to counter that goal, that imperative to act or not act, He has to follow the mitzvah, follow divine command. And what God does, what God brings about in the future, is not his concern to alter his acts today. That's that's the idea that he's saying. It is a glimpse given by God of what will be. And yes, Hizkiyot did have a rotten kid. Manasseh was a terrible king. He did shuvah and it was a disaster. Even with his tshuva, it was, it was a disaster. But 
that does not override the divine imperative for Chizkiah to have children. That is a divine command. And he cannot allow this vision, which was true, to upend his imperative that, that God has commanded him. That's what he needs to do. He needs to follow orders, not sit in the driver's seat, so to speak, and say, well, I know what's coming down the pike, and therefore I'm not going to follow the command. That's a mistake. 